Welcome aboard on Consider Everything. I'm your host, Brig Haynes, and let's go explore today to improve our mental health tomorrow. All right, guys, so I'm here with Lexi. I work with her at Vasa. We have some pretty big brain conversations when we're working at Vasa. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I feel like most of our shift is honestly just us talking and like we get into really super deep stuff and I'm into that. So it's really cool to be with somebody who actually likes to talk about that. Yeah, because a lot of times working at Vasa, it can be very boring, <laughs> but I feel like whenever we're working together, it's very quick. Yeah. Like it's obviously not a quick shift because there's seven hour shifts, but it doesn't feel like there's seven hours at all so that's why i like working with her because we have some deep conversations about you name it it goes on, it goes on everything it goes everywhere <laughs> so but they actually have some good meaning i feel like some yeah. of it's some of it's just bullshit but yeah. most of it yeah most of it's our opinion and our take on life so yeah. it works well yeah and i just getting to know lexi and doing our, our deep dives into both of our lives i think it's been really good to to see her point of view as far as mental health and stuff because as far as from what i've learned about her life uh, she's had some family members and including herself that have struggled with mental illness. Um, and I thought it'd be cool to bring her onto the podcast because she's she has her own very unique, cool story. So uh, during this podcast, I'll just be asking her questions and we'll kind of go from there. So, uh, Lexi, I kind of wanted to ask you how much you're willing to share on you're just you growing up with having parents that uh, I don't know if both of them struggle with mental illness or not, but just kind of your experience growing up and uh, how that was for you. Absolutely. Um, so when I was little, I was just kind of there. Like I thought that everything was normal. My parents would fight a lot and I didn't really know the cause of the fights. I just kind of was in the background, but a lot of times there'd be a lot of yelling. People would end like leaving. Like my dad would have to leave the house for a little bit and my mom would have to calm down. And, um, I found her telling me things that I really didn't understand at a very young age, big, what I call adult things. So it was like, you know, your dad's cheating on me or like your dad's doing this or we need to keep him locked out of the house because he was late. And I just was kind of like, okay, this is weird. And then it got really intense when my mom started getting physical and she didn't know she was. Um, there was a lot of times where she would get really mad and it would end in someone getting hit or like something physical. And so it got really intense for me and my dad and he would end up having to leave for a while. I would kind of usually just go in my room and then like our days would go on. But to me, that was normal and I didn't really understand much else. Um, both my parents were pretty heavy drinkers, so I was around that, but yeah. we were also in the church and uh, my mom would go through phases where she wanted to go, where she didn't. And then after a while, uh, my sister was born and I think that was kind of our second chance as a family. I can remember when we were sitting down and my mom was telling me that I was gonna have a little sister or brother and everyone was smiling and we were excited and we had like a really good afternoon together. And I was like, okay, maybe things will, you know, get better. But um, with my mom's pregnancy, it continued to get worse. And she kept telling me that I would have to take care of the baby and she wouldn't be able to do it. And then in another moment, wow. she would say like, you know, I can do this. I can be a parent. And um, there's just was a lot of times where she was not in a good state, whether she was high on pills or drinking or anything where like my sister could like could have died. So it got really intense. Really? Yeah. <laughs> From what I, I remember our conversations, you were saying that your mom was on a lot of pills. Yes, she was. Um, so she got diagnosed when I was about 
I want to say eight or nine with borderline personality disorder. And at the time, I didn't know what that was. I didn't understand it. But um, my dad had found a book called I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. So basically, it said that people with her disorder would go from wanting to pull away and saying that they hated their loved ones to love bombing them in the next second. I mean, it would be like a couple hours and like my mom would go from being the most angry rageful human being to being like I love you so much let's go buy you some clothes and um sometimes she would spend hundreds of dollars like just at the store and not tell your dad about it or no no my dad my dad would find out on his credit card statements gosh your poor dad yeah he he had a lot of financial trouble during that time and then what really put it over the edge is we found out that she had started stealing stuff from stores so wow she was um i mean it was it started with little things like some dvds she would come home and say well i bought it but it would still have you know the thing on the top like the strip that they take off when you buy it and she would outright lie and say well i bought it and we were just like okay whatever and then one day she didn't come home she had been gone for oh man i want to say like six hours we called her cell phone um i had called my dad had called we were super worried both my grandmas were like where is chris because you know when she got like that something was always going on and then she called the house and i had ended up answering and it had the bonneville county jail on it and the first thing she said was let me talk to your dad and so i handed him the phone he talked to her and he paid her bail she got home and then two weeks later they filed or my dad filed for divorce and it kind of went from there wow that's crazy i honestly it'd be because i know your mom was on a lot of pills at that time but what was it like being in that kind of environment like i i want to know exactly how you felt as a kid Cause I, like for me i i didn't have the exact same situation but um i did have a dad who was very manipulative and he would just he was a people pleaser but he would do that in order to get what he wanted was your do you think your mom developed those habits at a young age and so do you think she could ever recover from that or do you think that it's going to be a lifelong struggle for your mom um i think at one point she could have recovered she was um in an intervention with my aunt and my both my grandmas and my dad and they gave her one last chance and said well We want you to go to the behavioral health center. They can help you. They can kind of get you figured out with medications and things like that. So she did have a chance. But after she got diagnosed, um, instead of taking it as an opportunity to do better, change things, um, she just ended up going deeper into her behaviors. Really? That's interesting. Because do you think uh, from our old conversation at Vasa, this was probably a few weeks ago, but I remember you telling me that your mom was very spoiled. Your your grandparents didn't really watch over her that much. So do you think maybe her like spending sprees and her her ability to just manipulate people and she's off and on as far as being nice and then being mean later? Like, do you think that was a development or do you think she actually has a disorder? Do you, does that make sense? Yeah, you know, I think it's a combination of both. I mm. think it started out as just being a spoiled kid. And then I think something happened to her. Um, she's told me a few different times about like abuse that she possibly could have had, but I don't know which story is correct and which is not because of her lying. Yeah. But I think, um, I talked to my aunt and my aunt had said that at a very young age, like she was not allowed to go into my mom's room. 
My mom wasn't told no, she could do anything she wanted. Um, basically, the ground that she walked on was worshipped, no matter what, especially really? by my grandma. And so I think growing up in that kind of environment just made her not respect boundaries or habits of other people because I don't think she intentionally is like malicious. I think that's just what she knows how to do and what she's capable of. Well, yeah. And from that story, it sounds like she was used to getting unconditional love without any boundaries. So maybe she just grew up that way thinking that, oh, I can do whatever I want and I don't have to give anything back because her parents tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like they kind of just loved her anyways, even though she was being mean to other people, she didn't respect boundaries. So she felt like she could do the same with other people. And then when she met your dad and your dad's like, no, I have my boundaries. It seems like, am I right? Am I kind of hitting the mark? Yeah. Um, I think it was kind of a combination. So from what I've heard just from my family, um, and my mom's point of view and everything, I really have had some really deep convos with my aunt just about mental health the past few years. We don't really connect as a family very much, I think just because so much has happened. But when I've had questions about things about my mom or what, you know, has gone on in our family as far as history, my aunt's been very helpful. And she said most of it was my grandma. It sounds like my grandma was super enabling, but my grandpa tried to control that and he got very angry and he had a temper as well. So I think just the combination of the contradiction of parents and just how she grew up and everything just kind of formed her into an adult. And when my dad met her, he had his own stuff going on. So he sees this person that wants to give him all this attention. He totally went for it. Well, yeah. And as a dude, like a girl that's into you, that's super important because yeah. for most of us, unless you're like a freaking Brad Pitt, it's it's hard to find, <laughs> find somebody that <laughs> actually wants to be around it you. It is. Well, yeah. and um, a lot of relationships that start, like my mom, start out very intense, very passionate, very... Um, I I wouldn't say necessarily vulnerable, but just a lot of oversharing, a lot of saying things about her past. And so, you know, my dad was like, I can fix this. You know, I can fix this girl. We can have a life together. I can show my family that, like, we're not all going to get divorced and things aren't going to stay that way because my dad had his own parents divorced. It wasn't as messy as his, but definitely some issues there. And so... I think he just was doing the best with what he had at the time. I asked him once, I said, Dad, why did you marry Mom? Like, didn't you know that she had a lot of issues? And he said, Mm -hmm. well, back then, I really didn't know. And I was in my own spot with other things. So I just kind of went with it. Yeah, my my mom had a similar experience with that where, at least on my mom's side, my dad was very good. Because they say in the first six months, people are very good at hiding who they actually are. But Mm -hmm. after the six-month mark of dating, that's when actual characteristics that they really have start to come out but my mom and my dad didn't start dating until I think they got married almost four months after dating so she didn't really get to see the full side of my dad until after and there were a few key signs after six months where she's like okay that never happened when we were dating but I'm just gonna keep playing it out and see how it goes and long story short she did that for 11 years but finally there was a breaking point where she's like look I had no idea this is even the man I married so it sounds like that's kind of the situation that your dad was in he's like look I she loved me and I thought I could fix her. So as far as like, cause I know you have your own kind of mental illness story. You don't have to go into detail about that one, but I was going to ask you like, what's your opinion on medication for mental illness? Cause I remember talking with you at Vasa, you said that you were on pills. I don't know if you still are or aren't, you don't have to tell me, but um, it used to be kind of, it'd be nice to know to uh, like understand your opinion on medication for mental illness. Yeah. So 
I wouldn't say I'm fully against medication. I think it does serve a purpose and I think it's a tool, but I think it's very overused in our country. I feel like the first thing that doctors do when you meet with them is say, okay, this is your diagnosis. They're making a guessing game. They're going off of what you're telling them, but it, depending on your day, it might be something different because we all have different days and we all go through different emotions and moods. So one doctor might think, well, you have anxiety. One think you might have depression. And so one doctor will prescribe a pill for that. Another one will prescribe a pill for that. Or you might have one doctor that has no idea what's going on with you and they just keep putting you on different medications. And yeah. that's been my experience. And it's been more harm than good, especially to me. Like I've noticed that as the years have gone on, I've had memory issues. Um, sometimes I have a harder time focusing and I get tired really easily. So a lot of side effects just have come from all of that. And I just don't think it should be the first resort. I think it should be the very last thing. I think what should be addressed first is how that person can be helped, whatever their diagnosis is, because the diagnosis isn't the issue. It's the trauma. It's what's the root of it that's stemming from it that they need to have treated, not the symptoms. Yeah. And a lot of times I'll see on YouTube, like when I'm trying to watch a YouTube video or whatever, there'll be an ad that pops up that says, hey, find out if you have ADHD or find out if you have bipolar. And then after that, they say, oh, well, this might be the medication that you need yeah. once you take the test. And that that seems a little sketchy to me because like you're saying before, it, it depends on the day. You may be feeling like, oh, I'm just so hyperactive. And so I need ADHD pills or man, I'm just feeling really depressed. Like I had this shitty thing happen to me today. And, you know, I think I think it might be because I have, a, I, I have anxiety. So honestly, for me, that's that's a good point that you make, because for for me, that's what I encountered, at least with doctors, is my first one that was prescribing me. He was like, oh, well, you know, we don't really know what's wrong with you. So we're going to do a trial and error kind of thing. And I just got sick and tired. And I was like, look, we've been doing this for six months, dude, and nothing's working. So then I moved here to Roy and things kind of hit the fan a little bit. So I was like, well, maybe I do have ADHD because I have some people telling me, hey, you might have it based on how you've been acting. So I went and visited with a doctor and same thing happened. And I was like, none of this is working. It's just a cover up for what's actually the root of it. Because I found that when I was off the pill, those same things still came up. It wasn't curing anything. I don't know. Tell me if I'm wrong, but did you feel that when you were taking medication? Oh, absolutely. Um, I was on seven different medications at one time and they were all just numbing all the feelings I had. Um, I walked around and I would feel like a zombie in the morning. So I would drink some really high caffeine energy drinks and then I would be anxious by the afternoon and I had a pill to take to calm me down. So I was basically doing an upper and a downer and I had no idea. Um, my dad didn't have any idea. And at the time I was living with my very, very sweet roommate's mom, who I also have called mom for a very long time. And so she was seeing it um, from the outside in while I was living with her. And my dad was hearing conversations and between them and my sister and everyone that was in my life, they just said, I don't understand what's going on. I feel like you're on too much medication. So they both, you know, met with the psychiatrist I was seeing at the time and she couldn't tell them why she was prescribing the medications she was. She didn't have an open, honest answer. She just had this baffled look of, I have no idea what's going on and I have no idea how to answer these questions. Yeah. So once I got off of all of those medications, um, life definitely got harder, but I feel like I can like focus, I respond 
when I was on all of them, it was just, I mean, it was, it was deadening. Like Mm -hmm. it was just very, like I was tired. I wouldn't be involved in conversations. It was kind of like the way that my bonus mom described it is that I was a subdued version of myself. So when I was interacting with family, with friends, I was there, but I wasn't all there. I was always kind of a little bit more zoned out. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm not on as much as I was, I am seeing that, oh, like there's like a person under me, you know, like it's not just a diagnosis or whatever. So it's been an interesting experience for sure. Yeah. And honestly, for me, I think pills can be good for, for like some circumstances, especially for those very, those outliers that they really just need some help where they're maybe about to commit suicide or whatever. They just need something to bring them back to reality. That's where I agree with medication as far as it being a cure and people talking about how it's solved their problems. I, I think they're just saying that because they don't want to look at what's actually underneath their, their real problem, like as far as trauma or whatever it is. And that's actually part of my next question is, do you think prescription drugs can become almost a placebo effect and not actually a cure? Oh, absolutely. Um, And on a different token, I think they can become addicting as well. I think that your body can become dependent on the things that you're taking. So if you go through a medication change or you have side effects when you're coming off of it, you have real withdrawal symptoms. And there's a lot of different ones that are prescribed that do that and then some people end up taking something and they really don't even need it they just feel like it's working and so i do agree that there is a placebo effect because there's a saying that the mind is stronger than the body and it affects the body very much and causes physical symptoms so i think that's a huge part of medication yeah i I remember when i was taking i just i'm actually going through that withdrawal symptom right now because about two weeks ago i was taking adderall for adhd and now I'm trying to get off of it. And it's real. Like before I was just a zombie. I didn't even notice it. But as soon as I got off, I realized that, wow, I was not even there at all when I was working or talking with other people. I just seemed not there. But now, I mean, it's harder now because I have to actually look at reality and actually concentrate on my problems and trying to figure out a solution for those. But it honestly, it's a little bit freeing because now as soon as I fight these off, and I learn ways to cope with them, I don't have to necessarily fight those off anymore. It just becomes part of my natural being. You know what I mean? So there is another question I actually have for you is what things have you found to be the most effective for you personally as far as facing your mental health challenges head on? Ooh, yeah, that's kind of um, an interesting question. I think the biggest thing for me has been honesty. Um, I've always struggled with being honest about how I felt with you know, therapists, doctors, um, my support system, my dad, my bonus mom, like my roommate, like everyone who I'm super close to and I interact with on the daily. And um, having those open, honest conversations really started the change for me. And I thought I had been doing it for a long time, but I really have honestly been doing it only a couple of months. And I've been in therapy and I've been learning coping skills. And so I think the biggest thing is just understanding that all of your feelings that are intense or you feel like you can't manage, they're only temporary. And there are things you can do on your own that help them go away. And they don't take the whole problem away. But when you feel like you can deal with, it's very empowering. Um, For me, 
I was prescribed uh, anxiety medication and it's uh, benzodiazepine. So it's actually considered very addictive. It's called clonopin. And I ended up getting dependent on it. I've gone through withdrawal on it and worst experience of my life. But now that I don't have it, I don't miss that. I mean, mm-hmm. there's not anything that gives me the same effect that it did, but being able to be a person and manage my stuff and take things head on with mental issues and challenges and just emotions and daily stuff in general, and especially in relationships. I think I've always liked to avoid conflict and people pleased and kind of told people what they want to hear. But Mm. now that I'm not doing that, I can see a change in my relationships and everything around me. It's definitely gotten more challenging, but it's been more rewarding as well. Yeah. For me, I've noticed that although I've gone off the pills and before I felt, I would say I honestly felt happier. Um, I call it fake happy where it wasn't really happiness. It was just giving me a way to avoid having to bring up those hard conversations. Like for instance, like me and my parents right now, we're, we're kind of going through something as far as they disagree with how I'm living. And so that was hard for me because I didn't want to face talking with them. But when I did, it was actually less scary than I thought it was going to be. And obviously there's still a little bit of, uh, what do you call them? Like a little bit of, uh, gosh, what's that word? Um, collateral damage. There we go. Yes, That's cla- yeah. There's a little bit of collateral damage, but it wasn't near as bad as I thought it'd be. My brain was just imagining that, oh, like I'm never going to talk to my parents again. Like It's not like that. It's just, it's a little harder being off the pill, but the rewarding thing about it is you feel honest with yourself. And that's one of the best, most rewarding things that I found is, yes, I may come off as maybe a little bit unattentive because I'm trying to fight my own battles and stuff, or maybe I don't come off as happy because the stigma, and especially in the U.S., is you always got to be happy. You can't have anything wrong with you, and you got to be the same person every single day. But that's not really reality. I don't think that's really reality at all. That's hard for somebody to, to keep up that facade for so long. So at least for me, being off the pill has really helped me realize that it's okay to be a normal person. A normal person has problems that they're going through. They're not going to be the same person every day. Oh, no, I 100% agree with that. Um, I'm having a similar thing right now with um, my dad and my bonus mom. Like, we're having a lot of really tough conversations. Um, There's a lot of just stuff going on in therapy that some of it I agree with, some of it I don't agree with, and it's all out on the table now. And it was hard, but... It was also freeing to me because there's nothing I'm pretending about anymore. I'm not being dishonest with myself. I'm not being dishonest with my family, my friends, and everyone in my life. So I think it just makes a big difference. And you see that, like, people are are normal. Like, that's, I don't know about you, but that's been the biggest thing for me is, like, I'm so used to someone reacting with chaos. You know, when I when I was a kid and I talked to my mom, everything was so much bigger than normal. It was, but, it was drama, yeah, right? It's oh, like a drama all the time. Show. Constant, constant. And so as a result, I seek it without even knowing it. I look for chaos in everything <laughs> I do, especially my relationships. I look for behavior changes in myself, behavior changes in other people. I overanalyze everything. I overanalyze what I say, how I do things. And I'm so like hyper focused on not becoming like my mom that I don't see the things that I do that are like good and that I'm contributing but now that I'm focusing on that and then kind of having this battle in my mind but going back and forth it's it's hard but it's definitely been worth it every day for sure yeah well in in the U.S. I feel like there's a 
a single that normal is just one thing. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's an assignment to every single person. They all have to achieve it. But in my mind, I feel like there is more than just one. Each person has their own normal, meaning you got to find your normal because each person is different. If we were all boxing the same thing, we'd just be a bunch of robots. So the fact that we're, we're being told this label of normal, meaning you never have emotions, you're always headstrong, you never actually quit or you never make mistakes. Like that's complete bullshit. I feel like each of us are normal and yeah, we're going to make mistakes and we all start at different points, but we got to find our own normal. Does that make sense? Like I feel like people are getting told these lies and they're too afraid to actually experience their own emotions. No, I 100% agree with that. Um, And for me, as just an emotional person in general, like I feel things very deeply, positive, negative, in between. And pretty much my whole life, I've been told that that's like wrong, that you're not supposed to feel things. But um, on the good side of that, I've been told I have a lot of empathy. I can see a lot of things that most people don't. And You know, sometimes that gets me in trouble, but sometimes I'm right. And so I found that nurturing like the gifts I have and then trying to improve my weaknesses is good. But I've learned that you have to accept yourself. I mean, self-love is very complicated. I'm still very much on the journey, but I feel like I can accept where I'm at that, you know, I'm going to have days where I might need to just be by myself or maybe I'll need to be with people or whatever I need to do, I'm able to do that and I'm not going to be shamed for it. You know, I'm able to work with what's on my cards for that day and my best might look different, but it's okay to have emotions and it's okay to feel them. It just really depends on how you react to them because we all have big emotions. We all have intense things that happen, but it's just kind of leveling them out and not thinking that everything's going to be a chaos or that the shoe's going to drop. And so I don't know if you've experienced that, but for me, I'm always afraid that something's going to happen. I have a huge fear of like abandonment with people and I don't even know that I do most of the time. It's just so unconscious. Like, and as I'm working with that, I have seen somewhat of a change, but I do find myself going back on old patterns too. And your normal is going to be different than my normal, right? Yeah, exactly. We have different characteristics. Like I'm, I'm a little bit like you where I read into things very much. So it can be a blessing and a curse. And the fact that sometimes <laughs> it gets me in trouble with people because I'm like, why didn't you text me this time? Like, what do you mean by that text? And I take things way too differently than just looking at it like, okay, they're literally just being literal. Just take it literally. That's what I found for me right now is until you know the person really well, just take everything literally. And... So for, for me, it was a hard challenge because I didn't know what my normal was. Yeah. Because I thought I was supposed to be the normal that the U.S. and basically the whole world was telling me, which is you don't have any problems. You got to get to this point where it's just a utopia where you don't have any problems going on. Money is going to solve all your problems and all this stuff. But what I've realized now is each of us needs to find our own normal. What makes us click? And that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. Yeah. And it's it's very much a lifelong journey, especially if your life has been, you know, not anything normal, like in the sense of the word. I mean, I hate using the word normal because I don't think that there's anything that fits a box. But, you know, when you grow up with a situation that's very different from what most people have, it's hard to understand what your normal is going to look like and what your life is going to look like and it's for me it's always kind of been an identity issue like I don't know who I am without like 
pleasing other people or like going into things like that and working all the time. And I feel like our culture is just into that. Like as long as your people around you are happy and everything's okay and your job is okay and you're go, go, go all the time and you never take time to stop and you're busy, then things are perfect. But I'm finding that, you know, all of that stupid meditation stuff that I used to hate, I like to do now and I like to stop and really just kind of look at what I'm doing. And I've always thought of mindfulness as like cheesy meditations, but honestly, it's just taking time to be in the moment and not thinking about what you're worried about in the future or in the past. And you just kind of are where you are at and you are okay with how you are in that moment. And it's very challenging to be mm -hmm. in that place. It's a lot easier to just go by and kind of go through the motions and be a robot. But when you really take time to be present, it just, it, it's huge, big. When I, when I went through that change of actually stopping to like stopping my habit of people pleasing and really trying to figure out how I can become myself. I don't know if this happened to you, but for me, I, at the beginning, people thought I was coming off as selfish because I was taking more time on myself and with family members, they're like, how come you don't text us as much anymore? Are you trying to ignore us? And it was just, it was hard because I realized that when you're trying to change yourself, it can be a very hard process. And for my next question for you, I wanted to ask you, what do you think the cure is to overcoming a mental health challenge? Because like I was saying before, for me, it really, once you start, you almost come off as selfish and it's just going to be a natural thing because people start realizing that you're not going to give as much to them anymore. You got to figure out your own shit, you know? So what do you think in your own opinion, in your own experiences, what would be the thing that you tell our listeners of how they can start overcoming their mental health challenges? I think the biggest thing is starting with honesty. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with people around you. And it takes time. You know, you're going to have a lot of uncomfortable conversations and you're going to want to go back into old habits and you're going to have to set some really hard boundaries. I think boundaries are huge. I have sucked at boundaries my whole life. I have mine crossed constantly and I didn't even know what they were. And I'm starting to find out what they are. And like, I remember my bonus mom asking me one day, she's like, Lexi, what are, what are your needs? What do you want? And I had never thought about it because my entire life has just been an existence of other people. And so I've had to sit down and think about what I like, what I need, what I like to do. And actually it's kind of interesting because being with other people was my like thing that was detrimental, but I'm also finding it's been good as well. When I have positive experiences, like a couple weeks ago, my sister and I went to a concert together and we ended up talking about, you know, life, my dad and um, how things were going at home in Idaho, how things were going here for me. And we ended up connecting on something that wasn't something I thought we would connect on. You know, I'm not a big gift person when it comes to Christmas. Like I don't like getting gifts. I'd rather hang out with people, have experiences. And um, my sister had her own story with that. And I said, yeah, you know, everyone thinks I'm weird because I don't like it. And she said, no, it's okay. Like, it's all good. And um, she had sent me a, a song about like, I think it was overcoming like just challenges. And it was by the band that we were seeing that night. And she just kind of took that second to accept me as I was. And I had never accepted myself how I was. I've always wanted to live up to other people's expectations. So I think just accepting yourself and loving yourself and setting boundaries and 
being present, being honest. Like you don't have to be with people all the time. You don't have to talk to them all the time. But when you are, you want to do it because you want to do it, not because you're doing it out of obligation or because you're wanting something back from it. You just want to connect and human connection is like so undervalued. And I think that's the biggest thing is just loving yourself, being present in your relationships and finding people who lift you up. Because I think I read this thing once and it said like the five people you're around the most, you're a combination of all of them. And you really do attract what you fear. So for me, I've feared abandonment. I feared um, just a lot of other things. And so I've ended up with people who like have abandoned me and have fulfilled that prophecy. But now that I'm starting to try and change my outlook, I've noticed that the normal really racks my brain. Like it gets it. And it's like, whoa, what is this? This is like weird. <laughs> people are nice to me. Like people want to be around me and they want to go do things with me. You know, like my, my roommate's family, they, I've been at every holiday they've had, um, mostly except when I'm in Idaho. Um, like I call her mom, mom, don't know how like, you know, normal that is or like, but that's your, normal. but, but yeah, like that's, you know, that's my truth. And, um, it's gotten to the point where like my sister has accepted it. My dad has, and like my dad and my bonus mom have had conversations together, not all the time, but just when it concerns me and things need to be dealt with, um, they're on the same page. And I think it's interesting to have that kind of, you know, thing as an adult, cause you really like you kind of need your parents, but you don't need them at the same time. So I think the the line there has been a little bit interesting and we're still working through that, finding out that dynamic, but they're both very understanding and my family and my friends have all been understanding. So it's just been a lot of empathy. That's the other thing I think is having empathy is so big. You know, it's not just about seeing the other person's side. It's about seeing how they see you and understanding the good part of that and the bad part of that and relating that to you and then taking it in and doing action. So it's, it's complicated, but it's really worth it in the end. Yeah. Being, being open-minded as far as figuring out your mental, your mental health and also just trying to help other people out. If you're open-minded to both seeing their point of view and like you're saying, how they see you is one of the biggest things because anything that's hidden makes conflict. Yep. So and actually, that, when you were bringing up Christmas, I remember this time when I was a kid, I loved opening up. I didn't give a crap about giving other people like gifts. I was like, oh, just give it to me. Yeah, give yeah, to just me. give like, me all the toys, mine, everything. Uh, I want material stuff. Yeah, I, I was kind of like those pelicans in Nemo, like mine, mine, yeah, mine. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and I remember my stepdad assigned me to go oh, like, give out the presents. And he didn't tell me that I couldn't grab my own and just start opening my own because he's like, hey, you just got to hand them out as you see them. So I'd purposely look for my own name and be like, oh, looks like I got to open this one again because I actually grabbed it out of the out of the the little bundle we had of, of presents. And I'd purposely look for my own name. Like, oh, well, I randomly selected it. But it was interesting because as I got older, my selfishness turned into people-pleasing. And then now as I'm trying to figure out myself, it kind of turned into selfishness again. And... I wanted to ask you this question. Do you think people who get off medication will have to consciously fight their battles every day to keep their brain in check for the rest of their lives? Or do you think that it will just become an unconscious thing after lots of practice? So what I mean by that is, do you think it's worth it for somebody to come off the pills and have to fight something for the rest of their life? Or do you think their brain 
after lots and lots of practice will get adjusted to where it just becomes natural where they don't ha- there comes a point in time where they don't have to keep fighting battles anymore their brain is just so used to fighting its own battles that it just becomes natural like do you think it's worth somebody coming off the pills if they're gonna have to fight for the rest of their lives you know i used to think no but now i do because for me i would much rather have people see me as me and the battles i'm fighting and find solace in that or comfort or inspiration rather than having to use medication to mask something that's going on with me and I do think after a period of time and after practice and using your coping skills and really, really working hard, I don't think it becomes as debilitating as it starts. I think when you first start, it's a lot. You know, I've I've seen people go on medication, go off. I've gone on. I've gone off. But um, more often than not, I've seen people rise in the face of that. Like my dad had to take pain medication when he had back issues and he ended up getting dependent on that as well. And him coming off of that was very hard, but now he uses the gym and he goes and exercises and he walks and he does things around the house and he like talks to other people and he's more involved in his work. And so it was harder for him to start, but as time has gone on, I think it's just kind of a face in his past and he's just like, yeah, that happened. But it's okay. And that's kind of how I feel about really anything that goes on with people. I mean, obviously every situation is different and it depends on the intensity, but I think the intensity can go down with a lot of hard work, honest conversations, and just really being open-minded about treatment and not always thinking that there's a one-size-fits-all or that there's an easy fix. I think a lot of people get caught up in that, that this one thing is going to cure me or change my, like, illness or view on life and most things don't have like a cure per se they just kind of go down with time and you really don't think of yourself as having something anymore because you really don't meet the criteria like um with the illness that my mom got diagnosed with perfect example um I've done every every book about it I've read about it I've like seen other people with it And there's been so many success stories because a lot of people have really tough childhoods. And then once they get into therapy and they get working on it, they work on them, they work on their relationships because most of that disorder is relational um, and they work hard. It's very rewarding. And I think people see strength in that. I used to think that it was very like weak to have to like say, oh, I have to do all this stuff and I have to change all these habits. But Um, I think, um, a lot of convos I've had with my bonus mom have actually been about that kind of stuff about her story and what she's been through. And I mean, I don't need to go into that because I don't think she wants to be broadcasting her life on a podcast, but she's, (laughs) she's a, she's a very strong woman and like how she got to where she is and where she was at at my age are very different. And, um, seeing just her, her kids, her family, um, things that she deals with and does I just see such a like inspiration for me I mean at one point I did like put her on a pedestal and you know I didn't know that she's like just a human but Mm -hmm. now I just kind of see her that way and the same with my dad like I see him as someone who did the best he could with where he was at when he was going through everything and so I just think there's a lot of beauty in being human and I think we just kind of lose sight of that because we're so focused on 
what's wrong with us instead of what we're doing right. Right. And as far as normal, I don't think mental health should be categorized or use the word normal. No. Because like, <laughs> we look at like blood levels or like blood pressure. I feel like physical health, there are things called normal. Oh, yeah. Where, 100%. But when it comes to mental health, there's no such thing that, as normal where they can just box people in because every single person's circumstances are completely different. So to box somebody in when there are outlying factors is not very healthy to do to somebody because then they think, oh, well, all the solutions here should work for me, right? And then when they find out, hey, this isn't working for me, then they kind of just give up or they think there's something wrong with them. And actually, tell me if I'm wrong on this, but I found that when I was on the pill, I was scared to see myself if I wasn't on it. Does that, did that happen to you ever? Oh yeah, exactly, exactly that situation. So I had been taking, um, I think I mentioned earlier when we were talking the, the benzodiazepine clonopin. So um, I went to a doctor and I told him I was really anxious, I wasn't sleeping, and he gave me a pill for that. And then he gave me clonopin and he said, well, you're not addicted to anything, right? And at that time, I hadn't been, I had, never like I mean I'd had you know my bouts with drinking in college or whatever like we all go through that discovery phase but there wasn't anything that I was dependent on that I needed but once I started taking it um I saw a shift I felt good on it I liked Mm -hmm. how it made me feel it numbed a lot of my feelings I felt like I was able to take on the world um I thought it minimized some of my flaws and my stuff in my personality that I thought was bad that other people didn't even think was bad. They just knew that I had been through a lot. So for them, it was just like, oh, you know, there's stuff going on, but she's okay. But um, I found it, especially when I moved down here, Um, you know, I had gotten away from my family, but then I had moved in with my bonus mom and my roommate and we were all together and she had seen me like, you know, every other weekend when I was coming down pretty regularly. But once we started living together, um, she noticed how dependent I was on Klonopin. And at first I was really pissed at her. I was like, you're wrong. You don't know what you're saying. Like that happened with me and my you're, brother. You're a joke. Yeah. And, um, you know, she talked to my dad about it and just said like, Hey, you might want to watch her. Like, um, I think she's starting to become tolerant on this. And it, it's like, for her and um i got to the point where sometimes i was taking more than one a day i was taking like one and a half or two and most people don't know this but clonopin actually acts on your brain the same way that alcohol does that's why it's so effective it slows down your central nervous system so that when panic is coming at you and i was having a lot of panic attacks at the time that it would just slow it down Hmm. but it was funny because the more dependent I got on it, the more panic attacks I had. So I was using it for the panic attacks and to come down from my caffeine, like, you know, anxiety from the morning. And so, I mean, long story short with all of this, it was just starting to create issues in my relationship with my bonus mom, my dad, with, you know, her family that I was living with and just people around me. And so I was like, okay, I got to go off of it. And I have gone on and off of it like probably four or five times and it's been very difficult because it's a lot easier to just take a pill and say oh yeah like I'm better with this but yeah you're not like you're not a whole human when you're on it you're kind of zoned out you're not really like responsive and so once I like 
actually got off of it like the fourth or fifth time. I know that my bonus mom's laughing at this right now. She's listening to this. I love you, mom. <laughs> but um, you know, she's she saw a change and and my dad saw a change and I just started getting compliments about how much better my skin looked, how much better I looked physically, how I had started losing weight, which I had been wanting to do forever, and I was being more consistent and going to the gym and just everything kind of started falling into a better place than it was once I got off the pill. So I totally understand what you were going through with that. The way I look at pills, at least for me, I think it's a Dr. Jekyll and Hyde situation. What I mean by that is the world has created a stigma where people that have mental illness are just crazy and they're psychos. And so for me, I was thinking if I don't take this pill, my, I don't know the book actually, but it's either my Dr. Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hi, Mr. Hyde's gonna come out. So I was so scared to be off of it because I was like, I'm not normal if I'm not on this pill and I don't want people to see the dark side of me. And that was so scared for me. I don't know, if it sounded like it was the same thing for you, but it was a whole Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing for me. Cause I was like, ah, if I'm off this pill, then people are gonna see the true side of me. And the world has told me that people have, who have mental illness, and for me, I was making impulsive decisions, and I didn't want to, have to go through that again. So I was like, uh, maybe I, maybe I should just keep taking the pills. But after looking at it for a really hard, long look, and my brother talking with me, and be like, hey, dude, this the the Adderall that you're taking is very addictive, and I understand that it maybe is helping you to kind of avoid what you're dealing with, but you are like a walking zombie right now. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You are not yourself and you need to get this figured out. And at first I was like, I was kind of like you were with your mom. I was like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. You're only 26. So you don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but then I really took a good look at what he was saying. And I was like, yeah, he really does make a good point. And maybe I need to start figuring out and confronting my problem instead of avoiding everything like I have done for my whole life. And that's how I felt about at least my medication story. It was just, off and on, trying to figure stuff out. And it just, it was a cover-up. It was a, it was a Band-Aid on a bullet hole wound. Oh, me. yeah. No, 100%. And yeah. I feel that too. Like, um, I think my, my biggest thing has always been, like, mom figures. I've been so scared that, like, they're going to see, like, some side of me that they're not going to like. And so I would always, like, text or talk to my bonus mom. And it was the same conversation of, well, I don't want you to have to see all sides of me. And like, she was so understanding, bless her heart. And she would say like, no, you're not ugly. I don't see you that way. But, you know, after so many times of telling me, it got to the point of like, hey, like you have to see it yourself. Like you have to understand that you're a good person that like, I'm always here, that I'll always be here for you. And so like, I still struggle with that every day and it's not anything to do with her. She's not, you know, battle. bad or anything. Mm -hmm. It's just, I've had consistent inconsistent mom dynamics and so that's kind of where my stuff has like lied and so like having her now it's really interesting to see like how this dynamic has been playing out for me it's been tough it's been great and it's had its ups and downs but she's really helped me see that without the clonopin and without all of that like I am good I do have good things and so We've just been able to clarify that and it's been a blessing for me and I think that it has been for me with my dad too because um he doesn't see like you know this like down version of me you know I think in a way he kind of blames himself for how I turned out because he's like oh man like I was a part of that like you know I I made that happen and like 
I don't know I, if you're listening, dad, like, I hope you do. <laughs> I just wanted to tell you, like, um, you're amazing. And like, you did so much for me and you do now. And like, it's just crazy to see the change in our relationship, especially the past two years since I've moved out, I've been on my own and, you know, I still owe you a whole bunch of money, but like, it's fine. But I just, yeah. I, I just love how I am without all of that and able to like see things more clearly, even though I do struggle still with all my fears and all my stuff going on. Like, I feel like I can get out of it faster than when I was on medication. I don't know if it's the same for you, but that's been my experience. Absolutely. I remember talking and being honest with both my brothers and my fam, like my mom and stepdad, and just kind of being honest with them because my brothers, like long story short, they didn't mean to, they were just kids, but growing up I was very overweight. And so they would, they, I never mentioned anything as a kid because I didn't want to look like I was a wuss or anything or like I was offended by them calling me fat or making jokes about it, but it really did hurt. And I remember my brother, we were doing a campfire behind our house and he's like, you know, Brigham, I never really treated you that well as a kid. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I just remember you, you know, calling, calling you like chunky and stuff. And we had this stupid joke where we didn't even know what kidneys were, but he thought that like, my love handles were kidneys. He, That's thought, so funny. he thought he thought my love handles were kidneys, and I thought it was too. So said, <laughs> they made fun of my kidneys growing up, and oh I, I didn't like deep down it, it cut to the bone. But I I didn't want to look like a wuss. Yeah. And we had an honest conversation, just me and him, and he's like, "Dude, I'm so sorry. I didn't even mean to do that." But like, just like with your dad, it they, there's only so much you can do. Like we're we're all human beings. We don't like this is going out to my brother Matt because he's gonna listen to this, but. Like, honestly, no matter how much you can want to go back and change it, you can't. We're just kid. You were a kid. I was a kid. And there's no way that we could have known. Hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, even like for me, I think the last few years have been the most challenging for me. And I've often like sat and reflected and gone, oh, my gosh, I wish I could go back. I wish I could say no to that one thing, to that one person that, you know, like things ended badly with or whatever. And now I look and I'm like, there's really no point in wasting energy on that. It's not yeah. serving me. It's not serving the people around me. And I don't think we're meant to go back. I think we're meant to learn and grow. And I think that's like the most beautiful thing that we can do in this life, whether, you know, people believe in a God or not or anything like that. I think the whole point of us being here, like our like existence, you know, this is like super deep, but like, I think the whole point is just to grow and change and have relationships. I really think that's like the purpose is all of us to connect and relate on different levels, you know, just like we're doing right now, like people yeah. do every day. And it's just, it's cool to be able to do it. Like, I don't know about you, but I hate surface level conversations. Absolutely. Like, I am, I am like, I'm like, dude, I don't want to talk about what we ate today. Like, or I, I want to talk about the right. meaning of life. Or, or <laughs> the most cliche thing that I just want to rip my brains out whenever I hear this is I understand it's like when you're first meeting somebody, you can't do the deep stuff. But for some reason, oh, yeah. I want to. But whenever I hear, hey, like, what do you like to do? I'm like, oh, my frick. Just like, let's not talk about me for a second let's talk about like stuff that will make us connect so i'm trying to find the deep things that'll make us connect and that's again that's a problem i got to work on because for me i it's i don't know how to respond to that because i'm like i hate repeating myself the same thing over and over to somebody like oh i like to do podcasts i like to play the guitar i'm like how is this going to help us connect but it's the i feel like connecting is more of just being around a person for a while than it is talking yeah just being in somebody's presence will help you just learn about them and what they like to do, just observing them. Yeah, just being around 100%. Them. Um, uh, 
I don't know if my roommate's listening right now, but this goes out to her. Um, she's one of the most observant people I've ever met. You, you told know? me about that. Yeah, like, yeah, that. like, and I think we've talked about this at work, but she will watch people and she will do it on a level that you like don't even know because she doesn't stare at you she's not creepy she's not a Her weirdo brain has like a, a 50 just, times microscope it just, it just has like it's almost like i always think i've never told her this but i think this in the back of my mind i always feel like she has this like third eye on the back of her head that she's looking around because she knows like today you know i was um looking for my command strips and um I had had them last and she was needing them to hang up something on our wall. And she went in my room and I said, yeah, you're more than welcome to like look in the top of my closet. And she did and she couldn't find it. The next place she looked was in the exact drawers that I would have put it. And I was like, whoa, this is like, this is weird. This is a little creepy, but like, it's also very honoring because another time we were going to the temple and um, I was watching her niece that day so you know I was just hanging out with a baby I didn't think about bringing my clothes with me but she um grabbed them and then came to her mom's house where I was at she got the exact dress I wanted the exact jacket and the exact shoes wow that's and I will, very impressive I will never forget it so I totally agree that it's not just talking it's being observant it's really looking at someone i think eye contact is huge mm-hmm. i suck at that my bonus mom gives me crap for it all the time it so my much. Dad. oh my gosh yeah like last night i was leaving her house and we had a really like super intense convo and i didn't want to look at her you know i was like oh my gosh i just like was like saying stuff that like she didn't want to hear and I, you know it was like just really hard but she like pulled my face up and said, look at me, like, yeah. look at me. And she yeah. gave me a hug and said, love you. And like, as small as that is, it's so connecting to look at someone, whether you're talking to them or not, just like seeing their eyes, like the eyes are to the windows of the soul. And like, you know, yeah. when I, when I look in people's eyes, it's always scared me because I've seen a lot of bad, you know, like my, my mom's eyes were like that. She had a lot of demons and you could see that. Mm-hmm. But when I see other people and I look in their eyes, I see a lot of different things and I've noticed as I've started to work on that and connect, it's made a big difference for me. I don't know if you've noticed that either with eye contact. But so my, experience, <laughs> yeah. my, yeah, my experience with <laughs> eye contact is, I think it was the eye of Saruman in like Lord of the Rings. Whenever I stare at somebody I don't know, it's like their eyes are the, the eye of Saruman. Where I just like, they are reading me and I do yeah. not want to look back. Yeah. Like, if they catch me or they look at me, then I, I don't know. I don't remember how Lord of the Rings works, but something bad is going to happen if I look into their eyes. And I found that the more eye contact I make, the less stressed they are and the more confident I am. At first, it's like, oh, God, this is scary. Like, I don't want to keep doing this, but you kind of have to fake it till you make it. Obviously, you don't want to be a creep and just stare at them the whole time, but I found that, like, just making more eye contact makes you come off as a little more confident and that you actually are interested in what they have to say. And then their defenses or their their uh, borders, I should, I should say, they kind of come down a little bit. They're a yep. little more open. Uh, most people are pretty closed off, especially when you first meet somebody for the first time, but... I found that the more eye contact I make and the more confident I come off as, the more comfortable they feel. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right with the, with the confidence. And, um, I was talking to my dad about it the other day. Cause you know, I was telling him like I had had a big experience where I had made eye contact and I could feel the connection and it was deep. Like it wasn't just surface level. Like I felt it like in my like being and it's super random to feel that, but you know, 
my dad is okay with like me sharing random crap like that with him now. He's yeah. not a feelings dude, but every <laughs> once in a while he'll say something. And it was very profound. You know, he's very short in his responses. I'll send him like five texts and I'll get a few words back. But when I do get something back, it's huge. And he said it builds trust. And I really thought about that. And I think it's so true. I think when you are able to look someone in the eyes, they can see that you are genuine, that you're trying, even if you're not a hundred percent like on what they're saying or whatever, like you're putting in the effort to connect with them and trust them and know that they're going to be there and that you can also trust yourself. They can trust you. It's just a, a little thing that just, I feel like gets super overlooked and I really never thought about, but mm-hmm. I think about it a lot now. And I honestly, I find myself being conscious about things that I used to not give a crap about, like eye contact, you know, right. how I like my body language. That's another huge one. I don't know about for you, but like when I have closed off body language, I feel very like self-conscious because I'm like, oh, people probably see that and go, mm. and um, it was funny, my my roommate's uh, sister-in-law, she was saying something the other day about how I looked in a picture. And she said, you know, Lexi, like I could see your face and you just looked really uncomfortable. And I was like, holy crap. Like, it's crazy that people can know you like that. But, you know, their family just really takes the time to do that. And so does my family. And it's just really interesting to have that now instead of focusing so much on like the garbage that we've had. And now it's just kind of focusing on connecting and what we can do to relate together with our experiences. And scientists say that 60% of communication is body language. Oh yeah. So when you're, for instance, I think part of that is eye contact. Oh yeah. Um, the other is like how you fold your arms. Like if you fold your arms, I think that's a sign of being closed off yeah. or not wanting to talk to somebody. And that's correct for the most part. Sometimes I just like to fold my arms cause I'm just, it makes me more comfortable. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's necessarily, necessarily cause I'm uncomfortable in that moment. But yeah, like you were saying before, just getting to know somebody. I remember when I was like dealing with mental illness and trying to be a people pleaser, I thought that words meant everything. I did too. And you know, it was interesting. I had an experience with my grandma recently. We, we hung out the whole day and we really talked about a lot of super deep stuff and she's not really a deep like person. She likes to just kind of have normal conversations, but we really got into mental health and we talked about all of that kind of stuff. And it was just amazing to see like the difference in conversation and how Mm -hmm. much we view things so differently. And just to see like how she sees things and how I see things and just kind of relate, go off of that. Like, I don't know. It just, it was a huge experience for me. And I think it was for her too, because she was able to see more about me and I saw more about her. And some people they don't necessarily need words to know that you care about them. Well, yeah. I found that like, cause I have some uncles and aunts and just some people I know that are very like people that are very much just wanting to just be around you. They don't really care what you're doing. And sometimes that can come off as at least for me dealing with trying to overcome people pleasing. I think that if somebody's not talking with me or they're not engaging with me like head on or just trying to talk with me in general, that I must be doing something wrong. But I remember talking with my stepdad, Mike, and he, his brother is very much one of those people where he's, he comes off as very closed off and doesn't want to talk. But I found that he just likes being around people, especially my stepdad too. Like he, he, once he opens up, he talks a little more, but I found that the more that you're around them, 
they only really care about you just being around them. They don't really care that you're talking with them. That's that's what means the most of them is actions and just being there. Yeah, no, and like um, I I've had experiences like that too. Like me and my bonus mom. Like I used to think that when she wasn't talking to me, it was that I did something wrong or I said something wrong yeah, or we, I did something stupid because we read into things. Well, and like with my own mom, like when I was growing up, it was like that. If she was quiet, like you knew something was coming. One of her episodes was happening, or like mm-hmm. you know, you're always hyper vigilant, but like me and my bonus mom can just sit and watch TV and hang out. You know, my sister and I, like, we just sit in the car now and we listen to music. Like, we don't even talk half the time when we're hanging out. We just are with each other. But it's not uncomfortable. It's not. It's not. No, and it's not, like, with my sister because, like, we've, you know, been around each other our whole lives. And, like, she knows me. I know her inside and out. And just sitting there, like listening to the same music and singing together and jamming out. Like I can remember talking to my therapist and saying like, well, we really didn't talk. And he's like, well, why do you need to talk? Why does there always have to be conversation? And I was like, you know, I really didn't think about that. But like, honestly, that's how it is a lot of the time. Like when me and my roommate sit, we're just watching TV, we're hanging out. I mean, it's not like we don't ever talk, but we don't have to talk the whole time because we're both kind of like, you know, in our thoughts or maybe it's just a quiet day or like whatever. And, you know, same with my dad. Like we, t- we talk, we have deep convos, but mostly when I hang out with him, we just sit together and I watch him play Fortnite or, you know, I watch him do something dumb. <laughs> I love you, dad. I'm totally exposing you on this podcast. He's probably doing He's probably, <laughs> he's doing probably a, playing it right now as I'm speaking. And he's, or he's, going, doing a, he's doing a Fortnite, he's doing a Fortnite <laughs> dance right yeah, now. He's like, yeah. Oh. And like, I've told him, you know, like play with, play with Renee's little brothers and like, oh, you gosh. can get on there. And, but yeah, like I just, I just love being in people's presence and I feel like I've just taken that for granted. And so recently doing that, you know, with my, my close people, like my grandma and my dad, my bonus mom, my roommate, like my roommate's family and just everyone that I normally converse with. It's a change of pace, but, um, it's different and I like it. It's a different level of connecting. I think. Lexi, it's been awesome having you here. I, we've had some uh, great conversation. It's been another Vasa situation. <laughs> Pretty <where> much. <laughs> it, it was just it really was. It all ties together, but it's it's a very big bubble. Of yeah, I, f- I feel like when we talk, we start out with one thing, and it just goes, and we take it beyond. Like I don't know. I started. I don't think I told you, but I started this blog the other day. I haven't published my post yet, but I was debating on what to call it, and I was asking a whole bunch of people like. What do you think the name should be? Because, you know, I have really deep thoughts and I just decided to go with deep dive because nice. that's yeah. what I do. Like not even just with mental health or anything. Like I just like to think about things on a deeper level and kind of contemplate what they mean. And so, yeah, it's kind of what I'm wanting to do. So I'm really excited to start that and see where it goes. If you want, go ahead. I don't know if you've already created a, a blog or not, but if you want to tell our listeners your blog, I'd love to have them check out your blog. So if you want to just mention where that's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't have it like up yet cause I haven't had my first post, but, um, I'm going to post it on my Facebook page and my Instagram bio, and then it's just going to be on blogspot.com. So um, my first post that I'm going to publish when it's done, I'm still very much reading it and making sure that everything is like perfect because that's just me, but (laughs) it's going to be called setting the scene. So um, look for that. You know, you can Google it. It'll pop up. Um, So do they need to look for setting the scene? Yeah. Yeah. And then it'll be like, 
um, on Blogspot. I don't know like the exact link, but and I can I can send it to you too if you want to post it on your podcast okay. or something. Yeah, or I'll, I'll put it on the after we're done talking. I'll put it on the the description of the podcast so people can go check it out. Okay, oh, perfect. So just send it yeah. to me when you're. Yeah, when absolutely. You're done, so. All right. Well, thanks, Lexi. It was it was an honor having you here. Dude, this is, the honor. this is my dream. So. I think I told you this the other day at work, but um, I listen to podcasts all the time. It's my new thing. It's been like a good hobby for me. And so being on one, I was like, dude, this is going to be so cool. I remember I, I love to see your eyes light up. I was <laughs> yeah, like, you probably uh, thought <laughs> like, it was wow. so weird when I answered you like, yeah. oh my gosh, she's way too excited about this. Yeah, I, well, I remember I asked you, and you're like, are you kidding me? I was like, Dude, um, like, I, I was like, I'm cool enough to be on your podcast. What? Yeah, I was like, I like, this isn't a famous podcast. Like, you know, you're going on a podcast that just started out, right? She's, and you were like, Yeah, well, I'm really excited. I was like, Okay, we'll get yeah. you, we'll get you on there. Let's, yeah. let's fulfill this dream of yours. So. Definitely. 